morning. Thanks for having me this morning. It's good to be here and worshiping with you. Um, I come originally from Ontario. I've been at the seminary for a couple of years, um, got married, COVID wedding in May, and um, we moved down to Kalamazoo because my husband just graduated from the seminary as well, and he's doing um, a chaplaincy residency at Bronson Hospital. So we're there, and I'm running back and forth to Grand Rapids a few times a week, and it's a joy to be here with you this morning. Last week, you talked about Joshua and uh, Jericho and coming into the promised land finally. And this morning, we're 16 chapters in to the book of Samuel, so we've jumped an entire book and a lot of time in Israel's history. So we're not dealing with the judges, but it's important to remember that this is where Israel is coming out of. We didn't just go from um, Joshua and Jericho right away to these kings, but we had all of this time in between where um, we have that cycle of the judges, where the people stop following God, and then you know, people, other peoples come and defeat them, and um, then they cry out to God, and God listens to them, and he sends them a judge who saves them from everything. And, um, and then they're like, yay, God, for, you know, 20 or 40 years, and then we repeat the cycle all over again. And we've done that numerous times throughout the book of Judges, and then we end up with Samuel, who's the last one of these judges, and also a priest. Um, and as we heard in the story, we um, also have a king, and we're currently in the middle of political transition in Israel. So we're going to pick up the story uh, in our Bibles, on 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. 
Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Chad is a happy little boy. He's about four and a half years old. Chad likes to get close to people when he's talking to them. He always inspects plants and animals close up. Chad likes to watch the TV while sitting right in front of it. When someone calls to him from across the room, Chad squints as he responds to them. His parents begin to wonder if Chad maybe doesn't see well at a distance. A visit to the eye doctor confirms their suspicions. Chad is nearsighted. He has a hard time seeing things far away, so he squints. They order glasses for him and go to pick them up a week later. Chad's eyes open in wonder as he looks around with the glasses on. As they walk outside, he looks at everything around him. He sees a tree across the road, and he exclaims, there are leaves on that tree. His parents look at each other in amazement. Chad had never seen individual leaves on a tree before? In that instant, they are so grateful for those glasses that will help Chad see near and far away without squinting. In our text today, we find ourselves in a vulnerable time of Israel's history. It's early into the years of Israel's monarchy, and what a journey this has been. Israel rejected God as king. They wanted to be like all the other nations around them. They wanted a real king, you know, one they could see, one that could lead them in battles so they would stop being conquered by other people. God was sad that they were rejecting him. But God agreed to give them a king, and he chose Saul. Saul looked like a king. He was tall and strong. So Samuel anointed Saul, and the people accepted him. Saul ruled the people. He fought Israel's enemies. Under the leadership of a king, the Israelites won battles. Saul worshipped with Samuel. 
Life seemed pretty good. But eventually, Saul's impatience and pride got in the way. He became nearsighted. He lost the vision of Israel as God's people, God's kingdom. Israel was Saul's people, Saul's kingdom, and he wanted things his way. Saul disobeyed God's instructions. He didn't trust God. He didn't trust Samuel. He tried to do things on his own. This displeased God greatly. So God rejected Saul as king. God was sad that he had ever chosen Saul as king. Samuel is fearful and full of grief. If God has rejected the king of Israel, has he also rejected Israel? Is Israel no longer God's people? Samuel grieves. But Samuel is also a little nearsighted. He can't see beyond the leader to the greater vision God has of and for his people, his kingdom. We share some similarities with Samuel. We also live in a politically challenging time in our nation. If you didn't know already, it's election season here in the US. And like many of you, my Facebook feed and my conversations are filled with political ads, conversations, articles, and arguments. Some of these conversations lament the deep divisions among people. The ads seem to add to the division. The articles vary, but I think mainly they're trying to point out how wrong the other side is. The arguments aim to do the same. Our goal is to change other people to be more like us. If only they were more like us, we could get along. If only they would understand how wrong they are. If only they would read the Bible correctly or at least interpret it correctly. If only they would be as right as we are. I have this struggle. As a Canadian entering this world of presidential elections for the first time, I am overwhelmed. I get regularly angsty. I don't necessarily control who or what shows up on my Facebook news feed, but I do choose who I listen to or who I write off as wrong. I choose more often to have conversations with Christians I know who agree with me. It's easier that way. I don't have to face my fears this way. Like Samuel, I am afraid. I am afraid of what will happen to God's people. In the midst of the political turmoil, has God abandoned his people? 
Will he abandon them, depending on who gets elected? I am fearful for God's people, and I grieve the deep divisions present. But perhaps my view is nearsighted, my vision for God's kingdom too limited. At the beginning of chapter 16, God is waking Samuel up from his melancholy. It is time to step away from the grief. It's time to put an end to the nearsighted grieving and fear. It's time to look at the bigger picture. Israel is going to need a new king. And God has seen the one that he wants. God sends Samuel on a mission to anoint this new king. But the future isn't so clear for Samuel. He has to squint to even try to see it. Samuel hesitates. Ever since telling Saul that God has rejected him, Saul is angry. Samuel is sure that if Saul finds out Samuel's mission to anoint a new king, Saul will kill him. God alleviates Samuel's fear by giving him an excuse. Tell them you're coming for a sacrifice. You're a priest, that's normal enough. And so Samuel obeys God. He takes a heifer and he goes to Bethlehem. He arranges for a meeting of specific members of the community for the sacrifice. Some village leaders will be present and Jesse and his sons as God has directed. Jesse shows up with his sons, curious what this is all about. Everyone is a little nervous. Eliab, Jesse's oldest son, walks up close to Samuel. Samuel is sure that this one must be the new king God is talking about. He's so tall and his jaw is so square. He looks strong and confident. He'd make a good replacement for Saul. But God tells Samuel that this is not the case. Samuel is looking only at the outward appearance of the man in front of him. God tells Samuel that he doesn't look at the same things that people look at. God isn't overly concerned about how handsome someone is or how tall or strong he is. What really matters to God is what their heart is like. God is looking for a king to lead his people whose heart will reflect his heart. God is looking for a king with a humble heart. Jesse continues to bring his sons before Samuel, and as each one comes to him, Samuel states that this is not the son that God has chosen. Seven sons are not chosen from Jesse's family. Samuel asks if there are any others. Surely God has not sent him on a fool's errand. Jesse explains that his youngest son is taking care of the sheep. Apparently, he's not considered important enough to be called in for the sacrifice. Samuel tells them that nothing will happen until he arrives. So everyone waits while this son is brought to the festivities. Finally, 
the youngest son arrives. There is both relief and heightened anxiety in the room. What will happen now? Will they finally move forward with the sacrifice? As this youngest son takes his place in the group, Samuel stands up. God has told him, this is the one. Anoint him. Finally, something is happening. Samuel walks over to the youngest son in front of all of his older brothers, his father, and the village leaders. Samuel anoints him as the next king. With this anointing, the spirit of the Lord comes on him, on David. And Samuel returns home. I wonder if on the way home he was pondering a shepherd boy, a king. Who would have known? God's ways sure are surprising. But God has not abandoned his people. He has provided Israel with a new king. A new king to continue God's work in the world. Samuel's kingdom vision is expanding. They say hindsight is 2020. As we look back on this story, it's easier for us to see God's greater purpose working itself out than it was for Samuel. We don't need to squint as hard as Samuel to understand what God was doing. God was raising up an anointed king for his people, one whose heart was humble, one whose heart was turned to God. With a heart like this, God could work beautiful things in Israel. God could work beautiful things through Israel. God could bring much blessing to the world through a king and people whose hearts were turned to him. In this early introduction of David, we see a foretaste of the kind of king God would give his people forever. We see the promise that God would never abandon his people. That later king also came from humble beginnings. He was also anointed by a prophet, John, in front of people who didn't really understand what was happening. But this king's heart was entirely humble and entirely turned toward God. This king was Jesus. As he lived on earth, he didn't look much like a king. He didn't act much like a king. <clears throat> he didn't even really talk like a king. People had to squint to try to see what God was doing through him. God's work didn't look like what they expected. Jesus wasn't handsome. He didn't fight battles. <clears throat> he didn't get rid of oppressive human rulers. But his heart beat to the rhythm of God's heart. 
His vision for the kingdom of God was God's vision. Jesus was not stuck on appearances. People with fancy clothes or pretty faces couldn't sway him. People with dirty clothes or sickly bodies didn't bother him. Jesus slowly expanded the kingdom vision of his disciples. He loved those who came to listen to him and he cared for them. He served with a humble heart. He spread the good news of God's kingdom, that God had not abandoned his people. God had come to live with them. That God loved the whole world. He brought blessings for those in Israel who would accept them. And he brought blessings for those outside of that nation as well. Jesus actively participated in and spreads God, God's big kingdom vision for the whole world. And Jesus is still king today. Those of us who profess our faith in God recognize Jesus as king. We can live in the same assurance as Samuel did and as Jesus' disciples did that God has not abandoned his people. Regardless of the outcome of this election, God is with us. God is with his people. We do not need to be fearful. God is at work in his people and his world. God brings his people together. God molds the hearts of those who love him. They become humble, turning toward him, like the hearts of David and Jesus. God brings much blessing to the world through his people with hearts turned to him. And as the Spirit turns our hearts toward God, they also turn toward other people. We don't have to squint as much to see God in those around us. As God expands our kingdom vision, we see him in the people around us. God blesses us with his presence in them. And he blesses others by his presence in us. May God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for keeping your promise to Israel. Thank you for blessing the whole world through Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being the true king. Thank you for living with us. Thank you for sending your spirit to us. Holy Spirit, thank you for not abandoning us. Thank you for always being with us. Give us eyes to see you each day. 
live in us powerfully so that others see you in us. Bless your world through your church. In the name of our true King, Jesus, we pray. Amen.